You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. My wife is here. This is a special morning for me. Uh, my son Isaac, who's four, is here on the front row. We've got a picture of my family, too. We'll put up on the screen. Um, my two daughters are downstairs in the kids' ministry. Praise God for kids' ministry today. You guys really believe in valuing kids because I saw kids everywhere this morning. And then my son Levi, my dad pastors on the south side of Des Moines, so he's helping out with the tech booth today at my dad's church. He'll be here tonight as well as, I think my mom's going to come down tonight. It's always fun when your mom gets to be there when you speak. Um, It is so neat. This is the place where I first preached. I don't know if you guys knew that. But um, I interned here while I was going to school in 2000. Seven, I interned here, and uh, I was looking for a music internship because my degree was in church music at North Central University, and um, Pastor Gary was here at that time. He invited me down. I ended up doing a lot of stump pulling, um, uh, painting, a lot of painting on walls, hung out with the youth group a whole lot, and Lord knew what he was doing. He was preparing me because then we entered into youth ministry after that for about nine years, so it's fun seeing friends from... Um, many years ago uh, here this morning, and some of you who heard my very first sermon um, about Psalm 46. So it's so good. I, uh, it's a privilege to say yes to Jesus. Amen? It's a privilege to say yes to Jesus and uh, to see where he takes you, the journey he takes you on. God's so faithful. And um, After that internship, I got married to Rachel, and uh, we loved doing youth ministry. We were in Wisconsin for nine years doing music and youth, and loved getting to be a part of trips overseas. In fact, we ended up going to a variety of different places, and I remember one of those places, we were in uh, a place in the Himalayas, and we were just walking through, and it was an incredible time as we were praying with pastors there, and about a year later, we are at a big event with uh, a bunch of our students, and along with other students. There were like 15,000 students there. And w- one person got up, and for about 15 minutes, he was recognized, honored, and he shared his call to uh, Southeast Asia. And it was interesting, as he was sharing his call, how God took me back to that moment when I had been on that missions trip in much of the same areas. In fact, we have some pictures of the mountains where we're working now. And it helps you understand better the concept of unreached. They're unreached because it's just hard to go to certain places in the world. It's hard to live in certain places. But I remember being in that service and being taken back to that missions trip and how God had just brought back to mind a moment specifically when a pastor had been pointing to a place kind of like this, to each of the houses, and then even beyond on the next ridge, another village, and sharing with me for these people that even once hear the name of Jesus, they would have to walk miles, walk for days, because no one has gone, because there's no church yet there. And I'm sitting in my seat at that event, and I'm like, Jesus, send these students, send these leaders, send these people who are so gifted, filling this room. And he said, I want you to go. 
And I said, no, let me rewind. Lord, you're not listening. Um, He said, no, 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 there's no plan B. I need someone to go and I want you for this job. And I remember just kind of being wrecked that night as Jesus was working on my heart, processing the call and the cost. And I came back to the hotel room where my wife had been trying to put our two oldest kids at that time to bed. And I said, we're called and we're going as missionaries. And she said, not married to me. Like, I don't know who you're talking about. And uh, she's like, you know, we just process this, this call very differently. And if you're married, you understand that there's certain themes in your marriage, certain seasons where you have a, there's a, there's a difficulty communicating, difficulty understanding each other. We were in that place where she felt like we're called right here to these students. And I'm like, we got to get on the next plane. And... It was incredible as the Lord didn't lead me to the best arguments, but he led me to a place of prayer. (laughs) And maybe some of us need to hear that today. Um, And he just called me to a place of prayer and fasting. So I began to pray for this area of the world, unreached people groups. I began to pray for my own heart, and I began to pray for my wife that we would both experience this call. And as time went on, The Lord began to speak to my wife, Rachel, in a very different way than he spoke to me. And he spoke to her a couple questions. He asked her, is this guy really called? Or is this just one of the things that he's always wanted to do? Like, you know, start a band and be a rock star or, you know, have a t-shirt company. As men, we have lots of ideas. Um... And as time went on, she said, no, he's really called to this. And then the Lord said, are you supposed to be married to him? It's an important question to answer. And she said, yeah, I'm supposed to be in a relationship with him. God, you've placed us together. And then he asked her, can you trust me? And she said, no. Sometimes it's hard to say yes when God calls. Has anyone ever struggled with the call of God on your life? Yeah. And I'm the guy who's like rose-colored glasses. God's just going to take care of it. Let's just go. And she's like, yeah, we've got four kids now. This does not make sense. Is there running water? No, I can't promise that. (laughs) Is there a good road? Well, we can't promise that either. What will life look like? I don't know. And Jesus says, can you trust me? And it's amazing how Jesus loves us where we're at. And he began to speak to my wife. And in this journal, there was this little phrase that stuck out to her. And it was just simply, God sees you where you are, and he loves you right there. God sees you where you are, and he loves you in your doubts, in your struggles, in the questions Because I know some of us have walked in today with maybe some questions for God that haven't been answered yet. He loves you in that place. And that amazing love of Jesus doesn't just like kick us to the next place, but he just takes us by the hand and he says, okay, today I'll take one step with you. Let's just take one step, right? 
And then the next day, one more step. Come on, let's go. We can do this. And sometimes it feels like then it's a couple steps back. But he's so faithful. He's so faithful. And he led us to, after about two years of praying and fasting, to a place where we felt like, okay, it's time for us to go. And so I have a picture of our city at sunset up in the Himalayas. Um, It's a beautiful place. And this picture actually was taken from my front yard. So come and visit us. Come and see it for yourself. Some of you already have. If you've been to my city, raise your hand. Who's been? All right. Yeah. Awesome. It's so good to be able just to be with friends today. So um, our area of the world, you would walk down the street and smell the incense and hear the bells from the Hindu temples as people are performing their puja or their worship. You'd walk a little further and you'd see the lights on the Gudwara where the Sikhs gather and read their holy book. You would... In the early a.m., and if you took the trip, you know what I'm talking about, you'd hear the call to prayer from the mosque as it wakes up all the dogs, and then they all begin barking at the same time under your window. Some nods. You would also see where the Muslims would gather, but then also you'd go up on some of the high places and see Buddhist prayer flags and a large Buddha all sorts of different people, all sorts of different backgrounds. But one common thing we see in our area is that people are hungry for God. In fact, today is Diwali, and it's a celebration of light. It's this idea that these gods, they they have this concept of God coming, and so you light up candles or firecrackers so that God would come near in the Hindu sense of the term. And so there's a people hungry for God. It's just that the church is not yet planted in these areas. And so it's a privilege to say yes and be a part of a team, and we're helping to plant the church in the area where I, I, I think it's so unique because we can't necessarily have a building or a live stream and invite people to walk with Jesus because in our area of the world, if you were to do that, if you were to try to convert someone from Hinduism or whatever religion they are, you could go to jail for 10 years. And so our area enables us to operate very uniquely. We have a couple CrossFit gyms. And through those gyms, we're building relationships with people, making friends and all sorts of classes. And Rachel's grandma, Grandma Brown, when she heard about our gyms, said, yeah, but how are you reaching the kids? And he said, Grandma Brown, we're going to pray and God's going to open a door. And she said, that's not a plan. She said, I'm going to pray that God's going to give you a plan to reach those kids in that city you're living in. And so when we went there in 2019, we were connecting with people in the gym. We were ready to open a second one. But everything closed down within a couple months because of the COVID restrictions, March 2020, April. You know, April blends into May, and we're like, God, what are we doing here? Why are we even here? We're just in our house. We can't go to the gym. We can't make friends with people. We can't build relationships. I mean, you can only do so many, like, Facebook and Instagram workouts with your friends before you're like, all right, I'm done. Like, enough of the thumbs up and likes. I know you guys aren't doing anything on the other side of the screen. It's just me suffering. Oh, man, we had a 500 burpee workout, and it was like, I know I'm the only one suffering right now for this hour. There's no one else doing this. Um, 
But it was incredible because what happened was a neighbor friend of ours came to our door and knocked and we went and we weren't really connected with people at all because of the restrictions. But she said, hey, my son every day is on a screen. He's eating food. He's doing school on a screen. He's just, he's getting so fat. People in India can be very blunt. And so she said, can you do something for my chubby little son? And we said, yes, bring him on Monday. We'll, do, we'll have something. And so that weekend I took a CrossFit kids class, which basically turns all the movements of CrossFit, the lifting, the throwing, the running, the jumping, into a game. And it connects it sometimes with superheroes. So you're doing, you know, different squats, but they're named after different superheroes, you know. And that Monday, we had our friend come. Our kids jumped in. And we had some other neighbor kids that jumped in. We had our very first CrossFit kids class in our front yard in that dusty field, if you guys know what I'm talking about. And so as we're hanging out, we're doing this workout. It just was an incredible time. And they're like, let's do this again. So we started every week having CrossFit kids kids. And then after a couple of months, our, both of our gyms opened back up and we had our very first official CrossFit kids classes. And here's the cool thing. Every Saturday, we now meet in a school with 70 students doing CrossFit kids. In fact, we've got a photo of our fifth and sixth grade class. Recently, I was there in India in September getting to hang out with these kids. Hopefully, we have a photo of our fifth and sixth grade kids uh, from the school. And it's, it's such a special opportunity because here's the reality. For all these kids, they don't have, like you and I, they, they don't have a grandma and grandpa who's praying that they know Jesus. They don't have a mom or a dad or an aunt or an uncle who's encouraging them to go to church. They don't have a brother or a sister, anyone in their life who's going to tell them about who Jesus is and how he loves them and has a plan for them. And so it's a privilege to say yes and get to serve these kids in our area of the Himalayas. And I think if Grandma Brown were here today, she's in heaven now. But if she were here today, she would say, there's nothing special about me. I just committed to pray for kids. I just committed to pray for kids. I want to invite you to do the same today. Not just for our kids, but also for our Zumba ladies. We've got a picture of some of our Zumba ladies on a birthday. You got the cake there, hanging out. Some of my family members. You see, now this kids group and these Zumba, this Zumba ladies group have morphed into, we have Bible studies that meet each week now. Kids Bible studies, ladies Bible studies, and prayer groups that where people are gathering, coming to know Jesus. In fact, I think of a friend of ours who's been Buddhist her whole life. She's maybe early 60s, and she's like, she will run you out of the gym. Like, she, we had a team there recently of cross professional CrossFit athletes and coaches, and she's like, let's get a photo. And she's pulling her sleeve up. Let's get a photo, you know, with my CrossFit friends. And yeah, she's at least 61, 62. Anyways, she had her very first experience of coming to an Easter gathering and hearing about a God who came and died for her. And it's so challenged her perspective that she's beginning to come and walk with us in community, growing in Jesus now. Amen? 
praise God for what he's doing in her life. And I think of also some of our young people. We've got the next photo. It shows 10 of our young people from our gym. Amazing group of people. And uh, out of this group of 10, one of them today is strongly following Jesus. And he's beginning to disciple now another one of his friends. And so God is so faithful. In fact, we want to, I just want to throw up on the screen, as we talk about praying, there's a QR code. If you would want to know weekly how you can pray with us for the people in our area of the Himalayas, if you want to scan that code, it's just first, last name, and an email address. I just want to give you the opportunity, if God's laying on your heart, to pray for lost people and pray for his kingdom to come. Because I don't know about you, but at the end of the day, if I've spent the whole day and I've prayed for different things, but yet because of my prayer, someone's eternity might be affected, <laughs> even if it wasn't a good day, I know God's doing something, amen? I know God's doing something through prayer. And I, this morning, was so challenged. Um, I had a message prepared. I guess I'll save it for tonight. The Lord just was laying something on my heart for um, this church today um, and this community. This, this, and obviously, we know church isn't, you know, the quality of your sound system or lights. Right, church? So I'm not, when I say church, not talking about a building. I'm talking about people, right? The people who are in this room. And so when I say church, just know that I'm talking about you, even if it's your first time here. Because God's brought you here for a reason. And whether it was a friend convincing you or you just saw something online, we're glad you're hanging out with us today. We're so grateful you're a part of the community here at LifePoint. God's doing some awesome things. So I just, I just felt really challenged to share something with you from Genesis chapter 35. If you have your Bible, you can turn there with me right now. Genesis chapter 35. I have all my notes here. I guess... I, I don't really need my computer today. Um, but I, I want to read from verse 1. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll start from Genesis chapter 35, verse 1. It's on page 41, in case you're on paper, Bible. And God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them. So they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob 
came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, and he and all the people who were with him, and there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he had fled from his brother. Verse nine, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him, and God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then the Lord, then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Heavenly Father, We just come to this place because we want to focus our attention on you. I think of how Jacob came to a place of focusing in on you, being reminded of you and of your work. And so, God, I thank you so much that all are invited into this space, into this moment to connect with you. And so, Jesus, I pray your, your Holy Spirit that you just you pour yourself on us in a new way, in a fresh way, Jesus, as you speak your word to us. We pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, I just wanted to share a few things here. I, I, as I take a look at this scripture, as I connect with this scripture, I, I bounce back to Abraham and the story of Abraham. And Abraham was in a period of transition when God began to speak to him and call him out. In this incredible moment, there's a couple different moments in Genesis, but it basically the theme is, I am going to bless you so that you might be a blessing to the nations. So you will be a blessing to the nations. And that was the theme of Abraham's call. And it transitions down the generations, and now we've got Jacob. And this call isn't any less true for Jacob today. This call calls him out of a place of, well, I want to call it lukewarmness. Because we know that Jacob is carrying, he's got got 12 sons who are going to be eventually create the nation of Israel. And as we look at who Jacob becomes Later, we also get a glimpse into what his life is like in the moment. And it, it's kind of this lukewarmness where they have a, an awareness of God, but they also have the presence in their house and in their life of a lot of other things which draw away their worship of God, draw away their attention from God. And we realize it when we begin to talk about how in verse four, they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had. 
And I'm so challenged by this because I realize that even someone who is as connected to the point that Jacob even wrestled with God a few chapters earlier, a few years earlier, he wrestles, literally has a physical encounter with God. Even someone so demonstrative in his relationship with God, there can be complacency. There can be a place of, of comfort. Now, with, within our culture, in the Himalayas, it's very normal for people to have small idols in their house. They'll have little deities that represent who it is that their family honors and respects. A lot of the area, a lot of the people in our area honor Shivam, but there's many, many other gods. In fact, today in Hinduism, there's over 330 million gods. And it's so interesting because my friends who are Hindu or, or Muslim, often they'll even borrow from other religions. And uh, one of my friends who's Hindu, she went on a pilgrimage and just whatever temple, Buddhist, you know, even if it was a, a ashram or a, a Durga, different places where they honor even Muslim prophets or whatever, she would just go and prostrate herself because she's like, well, what if this is the one? What if I don't want to miss out just in case there was something here that I needed to encounter? And so we see in Jacob's family that it's much the same kind of culture where you have your family gods and maybe even we, we hear about some that were stolen from Laban who's Jacob's father-in-law you know who knows maybe some of those have been handed out down for many generations but there's this area of complacency in their lives these gods that have been handed down from generation to generation that are still in their home and God is calling Jacob to a deeper place of worship a deeper place of devotion. And often that's the challenge as we communicate the gospel to our friends in India is they'll add this God or they'll add this concept or they'll add maybe this story from scripture or this perspective on the Holy Spirit or this understanding of Jesus. I think of even friends in Nepal who, I was just reading a, a story from one of them recently, how they were traveling through a Hindu area and they had seen different things connected to Jesus and they were like, what? <laughs> so it's Hindu people, but they're kind of understanding this Jesus has something to offer as well. But it's all connected and there's no single one God because, hey, you know what? I borrow, I pick, I choose. And much the same is true in Jacob's life and in his family. My question today, is this level of spiritual complacency active in our homes as well? Of being comfortable with cultural gods in our home? Because the idea of idolatry in the East where we live is such that idolatry is all about the giving of time or money or possessions to something so that you might receive something back. What do we give our time, our money, our possessions to on a regular basis? What occupies most of our thoughts? What occupies in our home with our kids, with our family members, 
most of our conversations? What, what is it that our home is revolving around? And I, I was so challenged when I came back to the US because I found out that I needed so many things that I didn't have in my life. A side-by-side. -side. I had no idea I needed a side-by-side -side in my life to go, I don't know if anyone has one, but I'm like, oh, that looks like a good time. I guess I need one of those. We live kind of down by the Des Moines River, and we're like, man, people are flying by. I'm like, man, that looks like a good time. Or that in my life, I needed better internet because without better internet, the world does not spin. <laughs> you know, I was so challenged. I was like, you know, I should, we should really get some better internet or I need a better cell phone like every 10 months, maybe six months, right? It's so interesting because culture today here in America teaches us that you lack, <laughs> you don't have enough. <laughs> And I think, man, Amazon or whatever it is, you know, I think I saw J.C. Penney ad is like Black Friday six weeks early, you know? I don't know. I don't know. It's maybe this new this year. I, I don't know. But when I came back to America, I realized I lack so much and maybe some of the gods that we serve are the gods of just needing more things. If I have enough, and I think it's interesting because on our college campuses today, I was talking with a leader, students deal with a lot of anxiety. And I wonder if it's because from birth, they've been told they don't have the right thing. They don't look the right way. They don't have access to what they need access to. I, I, I don't know what it's like for you today, but I want to encourage you, listen to the Holy Spirit because he's speaking to us today about what our society places in our hands and says you need to worship, you need to honor, you need to pour time and money into this thing. I'm so challenged by it today because it's interesting how what Jacob does when he realizes the complacency in his own home, when God calls him out, right? Verse one, arise. God calls him out, make an altar. In verse two, what's his response? The first thing he says, put away the foreign gods that are among you. But the second part is purify yourselves and change your garments. Purify yourself and change your garments. So challenged by this today, you know, this idea of in scripture that we are a city on a hill. We're a light to the world. Now, I think about it in this context. If we're going to be a light, if we're going to be a city on a hill, if we're going to be someone who reveals God to the people around us, then we can't look the same. We can't talk the same. We can't live the same way as everybody else. You see, I'm so challenged by this today because the reality is Jacob understood living among all these nations around him, he understood that they were set apart and they no longer could look like everybody else that lived in their neighborhood. Not just because he wanted to look better than everybody else, but he's remembering back to Abraham's call, that initial call that he was to be a blessing to the nations. That there was supposed to be fruit 
in his life that would bring life to other people. And being called out, being set apart ones isn't about just saying, I'm better than you, but it's saying, God's got so much better for my family members, for the people I go to school. I, I think of just even the coworkers, the people you bump into. One of the things that challenges me so much is, I think of, well, here, I'll, I'll explain it by telling a story. We were in Mumbai, and Mumbai is one of the most densely populated places on the planet. It's a city in India, and they say, how many people live in Ames? 70,000. So they say today, about every month and a half, the city of Ames is moving to Mumbai. About 70,000 people move to Mumbai every month and a half. Isn't that crazy? And we thought <laughs> and our neighbors were too close. <laughs> Shut off your floodlight, all right? I'm trying to sleep. I mean, li people living on top of people, it's crazy. And we decided while we were there in Mumbai to go to the mall and hang out. You know, what a great decision with four small kids and a massive humanity. So we got to the mall. That was an experience in and of itself. And then we're trying to get food and we're like making our way and people are taking pictures of these little white kids, you know, cruising by. And we got some food and then we're getting out of the mall and we made it back finally to the house doing head checks and we had everybody and... We're going to bed, and my daughter Nora begins to pray, Jesus, what if we were the only people in the whole mall who knew you? Jesus, I pray all those other people would come to know you too. And I was so challenged by her prayer that night. When we talk about when we talk about the people that we bump into each day, at work, at school, grocery store, wherever, knowing that we're called to be set apart so that they may know the goodness of Jesus. We're called to look and talk different so that they may know God's plan for their life. You see, I, I, I'm so challenged by this scripture today because it lets me know, it reminds me that the God who saved my life and changed the direction of my life, he isn't done yet. He wants to use my life for a greater purpose. And church, when we talk about being a city on a hill, when we talk about being used by the Lord, I think it's so interesting to me to understand that it all starts not necessarily with a moment at the altar. Of course, that's a decision you have to make. But it also is the next steps that you take. Because... Jacob had plenty altar moments with God. He had already built many altars before. But it was here that things became real for him with God. Because it was this moment that now his identity changed. Right? His identity changes. We read that in the next couple of verses as God literally renames him. In the past, his name was Jacob, which was a fancy way of saying heel catcher. 
<laughs> wow, you know, hey, what's up, heel catcher? That'd be, a, that'd be a rough one growing up. I don't know about you, but uh, heel catcher. And now he's given him this name, Israel, which means God prevails. That God is ruler now over his home, over his life, over his family and his future. And I love this because God gives him a new identity and God also reveals himself to Jacob, now Israel. We read it right here when he says, I, <clears throat> let's see, right here, verse 11, I am God Almighty. El Shaddai. So not only does God give him a new name, new identity, but God also reveals deeper who he is to Jacob in that moment. And I think it's so amazing when we look at this idea of not just a moment at the altar, but beginning to walk in obedience and what that means, how God gives us a new identity, but he also gives us a deeper revelation of himself for our lives. Because this revelation of who God is isn't just for Jacob in that moment to journal about and put away on a shelf. It's so that now he has something to share with the people around him. Here's who God is. Because one thing I've begun to understand living in the Himalayas is that there are a lot of concepts and ideas about who God is, what God wants, what God requires, and how God sees humanity. But when we, as the church, begin to have a deeper understanding of who God is. Now we have something to offer the world around us. Now we've got something to give to someone else. To a world that's hungry, that's searching, that's looking for something more in this life. He says, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And church, when we talk about this idea of God giving us a new identity and a new revelation of himself. I think it's so fascinating because it's not just about this moment with God, but now how is Jacob going to walk this out? How is he going to walk this out from this moment? We see that he erects another altar. He sets up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken to him, Bethel. How does Jacob walk this out? And you continue to read in Genesis and you can look for yourself about the ups and downs, the difficulties, the challenges that Jacob experienced. But one of the things I love to see is later on we see that he buries his father Isaac. And going into this, the backstory is him and Esau, Jacob and Esau had a lot of conflict <laughs> to the point where Jacob ran for his life. I don't know if we have any siblings in the house who've run for their life. Um, but great story. A friend of mine, he had a BB gun. This was many years ago. He shot his brother in the foot, his brother who's much bigger than him, and he took off down the road. 
But at some point, you got to come back to your house, right? And so Jacob had to eventually come back after this conflict with Esau. And the beauty of what I see is when we walk in obedience to Jesus, then we, we come to a place where we need to walk not just in integrity, but also in community with others. Because how can we say we're following Jesus if we don't walk in community with the people he's placed us with? The people who we don't always like, <laughs> who don't talk like us, don't act like us, maybe don't smell like us. If you live in an apartment where there's people from India or Nepal, you've smelled the, season, the seasoning, right? The masalas from their cooking, and you're like, that's different. That's not a hamburger. Uh, that is not a taco, but I feel like it's similar. And it's this idea that Jacob's in a place where he is in a situation, he's living in the same area now where he has been, um, he has history with this man, Esau, history. But yet we see Jesus come and, and, and as God speaks to Jacob, Jesus loves to restore relationships and we see at the end of Isaac's life, at the end of this chapter, it says, Isaac breathed his last and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. There was a level of relationship that was restored here. That these sons were able to bury their, son, their father. And I don't know Isaac's perspective. It doesn't tell us, but I got to imagine that he spent many years praying for his sons to come back into relationship, to walk in community again. And I think God wants the same for us. Maybe there's some relationships that are re represented in this room even. And if we're going to be a city on a hill, if we are going to be the church God has called us to be and to continue to plant that church when it has never been, then we have to start by walking in community with those around us right here. You see, I can't think of anything that brings more peace to a situation than forgiveness. Honest, true forgiveness. And we talk about it with our kids, at least with my kids. We work on it, don't we, Isaac? Talking about, I forgive you, and will you forgive me? Do you remember that? We would talk about that. We have those conversations, and we just sit and wait. And Grace will be like, mm, I'm not feeling it yet. <laughs> or Isaac will be like, huh. It'll pick up a toy, it'll just be like, mm, and Grace will be like, give me a hug. Mm, nope. Nope. It's not there yet. Well, today I want to encourage you. Forgiveness is really only possible through the blood of Jesus. What he's done in our hearts and in our lives. And so it's in his strength that we can forgive that person sitting across the aisle or across the street from us. I believe today Jesus wants to make this a place where people experience peace through forgiveness. And so I want to invite the worship team to come at this moment because I want to give space for us to respond to the Holy Spirit.
the three things we see Jacob do. He puts away the foreign gods, has his family purify themselves, and they change their garments. And what comes out of that? New identity in Christ and a deeper revelation of who God is. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.